This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for listening in today. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Our guest today is author Grant Cater Menzies, who will share with us his experience and journey in adopting his best friend, Freddie, from the British Columbia SPCA, who had rescued Freddie from a puppy mill hoarding scenario. So in tribute to Freddie, who has passed in 2021, Grant penned a heartwarming memoir called Freddie the Rescue Dog Who Rescued so when we get back from these messages, we will hear from Grant Hader Menzies about his experience as well as how he helped Freddie with his fears and anxieties that may inspire others going through similar transitions with an adopted dog. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Food. We are talking with author Grant Hader Menzies about his incredible journey with his adopted dog, Freddie, who has crossed the Rainbow Bridge in 2021 and now has his very own memoir called Freddie, the Rescue Dog Who Rescued Me. So thank you, Grant, for taking the time to talk about your new book and your experience helping Freddie uh, rehabilitate into the world. Thank you. So first off, can you share with us the moment you first met Freddie and what drew you to him or his stuff or his story coming from a, a puppy mill hoarding situation? Yeah, um, it was in September 2010. And my partner and I had just lost our elderly dog, Jesse, two years uh, earlier, actually, we had just got to the point where we felt we could uh, welcome another another dog into our lives. And we were at the BCSBCA shelter in uh, Victoria, BC. And we went to see Freddie, we'd seen his picture on the website the night before. And I was I was very doubtful that he would still be there because he was a sweet little sort of like a little dark fox looking dog, but obviously very, very scared in the photo, but I could see somebody snapping him up right away. But when we got there, there he was, I had never seen a more terrified dog in my life, a dog that had been through horrible situations I could only imagine. I knew it would be a challenge taking him on, but I couldn't leave him there. So (laughs) we brought him home. That's amazing. That's awesome for you because I love hearing stories, especially from Puppy Mill. Maybe actually you can uh, educate us, even myself, on what exactly is the Puppy Mill hoarding situation. Um, Like, what does it really look like? Well, um, a Puppy Mill is basically an unauthorized, um, unofficial 
breeding operation where the dogs are kept in substandard conditions, often not fed, often not cared for, often not uh, socialized solely for the purpose of breeding puppies that are then passed along to pet shops that do not care where their dogs come from and uh, who then uh, uh, pass on to the public dogs that have all kinds of issues and problems that may result in them being given up uh, because of their their abnormalities, either um, health, physical health or mental health or both. Freddie had had a great deal of trauma to work for and never work through and there were things he never got past. Mm-hmm. So a hoarder, as I explained in the book, it's not not everybody who hoards animals is a demonic, you know, um think <laughs> some of these people really think they're doing the best thing they can for um for the dogs or cats or whatever it is they are collecting. Um, but there's a lot of psychological uh trouble part of the, the human the human beings that do this in uh, Kim Cavan's book Little Boy Blue about her 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 way of, of going back through history to see where her uh, adopted mill dog had come from she met a lady who hoarded dogs that were basically stacked in boxes to the ceiling in her in her home Jeez. and uh, some of them left in a room with no light on and she thought she was doing the right thing. And I have known some, I have known people who were, who were hoarders. It, but it's, it's bad because it's, it results in animals that aren't socialized, animals that, who have health problems that are never addressed. Freddie came from both, both of those situations, whether he was ever used for or, or prepared to be used for breeding is, is, a, is doubtful because he was so terrified of other dogs, I can't imagine him being used for breeding, but he uh, he was with the others when they were scooped up by the uh, by the PCSPCA. Um, that was in August 2010, and then we adopted him in September. Wow, you've had him for a decade at least. That's great yeah. that he lived that long. Yeah, he was about 13 or 14 when he passed away. Okay, now your book, Freddie, the Rescue Dog Who Rescued Me, is a deeply personal account of your journey with with him. What inspired you to write this memoir and what message do you hope readers take away from it? Freddie had been through so much and had reached a point where it was like he he felt he could trust. He felt he, he it was okay to trust people, trust humans again after what they had done to him. This inspired me so much that I, I'd spent years writing biographies of uh, mostly of, of uh, extraordinary women's lives, and when Freddie came into the picture, I I watched him grow stronger and, and more courageous and more open and and accepting of, of things and learning how to live in a normal world. And I thought I really want to write about animals that have been through hell and have have managed to survive that and uh, overcome it. And he's really the reason I started writing about animals in war. The, uh, the I dogs, saw that, yeah. Uh, the, the, the dogs, horses. And so in that regard, he and many of these books, I, I give um, royalties to animal charities. So in that regard, Freddie was, was certainly helping um, with you know current issues that animals are having. But in his last year, he fought two cancers 
One of them, the most uh, deadly cancer that uh, dogs can have, hemangiosarcoma, and then heart disease on top of that. And it was a battle that was waged with grace, with joy, and never complaining. And it just, I thought, and I kept a diary of all of this, and I thought, well, I really, I really should tell this story because it's important that people see how animals, how brave they can be, how to learn by the way they navigate tragedy, the way they navigate pain, and the way they, they insist on living with joy. I wanted to share the story. It was part of my healing process as well. I, for the first six months, I basically lost the will to live after Freddie left. And um, I, I uh, reading over my diary that during that period, I thought, you know, you can't keep this to yourself. He's so and so important to my career as a, as a writer and, and to my development as a human, seeing me through so many of my own problems uh, in, in life. And I just, I had to tell the story. So I'm, I'm glad it, I'm glad my publisher was interested in, uh, in publishing it. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I can imagine the loss of a beloved pet can be difficult. Maybe you could talk about how you coped with Freddie's passing and the impact that he continues to have. So maybe someone that's going through this kind of grief can, you know, feel that they're not alone. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, I was part of a Facebook group during this whole period where people who had dogs that were living on borrowed time, people who would share their, you know, ideas of how to, what they could eat, what to do to help them through this, and also what to do to help ourselves through it. One of the things I did after Freddie passed away, and I could think rationally, was to set up a sort of Freddie wall. The portrait on the cover of the book is actually a, a painting of Freddie that was made in um, around 2012 and uh, by a, a wonderful BC artist, uh, Vicky Bowes. Uh, and we have that on the wall in our bedroom. Under it, we have a cabinet full of all of his, um, his favorite jackets and his, some of his toys and some treats that he left when he died and some photos of him. And then uh, under that, we keep the, the urn with his ashes. I am very, very grateful I was able to commission an artist in New York to uh, create his urn. It's got a portrait of Freddie on top um, based on photographs of him. Uh, it's in ceramic. Um, the artist asked me, well, how do you want him to appear? And I said, well, I want him to appear the way he was in the last moments when my partner and I walked into the ICU on October 25th, 2021. And uh, Freddy, who could barely breathe, got up and he stood to be held by us until he went to sleep. And so that's that's on his shelf in his little cabinet. And I, I think keeping pictures, I mean, it's not for everybody, but for us, it works. Keeping his things, our new adopted dog, also a former mill dog, Nico, plays with some of Freddy's toys. And that's in a way keeps him keeps him with us yeah that's a that is a very touching story and that is a useful tool because a lot of people may have emotionally difficulty keeping those past items of the dog so that's great that that that's something that helps you mm -hmm. i even have i mean i kept things from, it was like 
every every step of the way with Freddie was a new step forward. I mean, he, he went from being completely shut down. The first hour we brought him home uh, from the shelter, he, st- he stood in a corner and shook with his head down. And, you know, just seeing him chewing on, on a cardboard tube, I thought, that, so I kept the tube. I mean, he, he learned how to do things that I had grown up with what I would consider normal dogs. And it just, it was amazing to see a dog learn how to do these things that I thought they knew how to do just, you know, normally. And uh, I had to teach him what a toy was, to teach him that his food would always be there and that we would always be there for him. I kept every little memento over the years. And um, for some people that, that could be upsetting to see those things. We couldn't really talk about him or or look at pictures for the first several weeks, but now we have him everywhere. And like I say, with his some of his toys in Nico's box and seeing Nico play with them, it's it's feels like we're he's still contributing. And of course, he's still contributing because he influenced these books of mine that um, celebrate courageous animals that are helping support different animal charities. Absolutely. Yeah, we. I really appreciate that you're, you have all that content that you've created. But we're just going to have a quick break. And when we get back, we'll continue talking with Graf Hater Menzies. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with author Grant Hader Menzies about his new book and memoir release called Freddy the Rescue Dog Who Rescued Me. To get into some practical tips that you've gone through, and you've pretty much gone through it, seeing that Freddie came from a puppy mail and hoarding situation, which is which does involve pretty much training the dog to learn everything from the start again. He had to overcome fear, anxiety. Could you share some of the specific steps and tools you use to help him acclimate to your home? Yes. One of the things that that has, has always struck me is how pernicious fear is. It it interferes with almost everything. I think it is is really the basis of unhappiness, <laughs> um, and it's so easy to fall into fear. I I spent a lot of my my bullied boyhood in fear, and it can stunt one. It can um, it can kind of put things on hold until you're ready to get away from it or, or deny its force in your life. So watching. Freddy being afraid of everything. He didn't know what, I mean, when the wind blew his fur, he didn't know what that was. Our Nico is the same way. The wind blows and he's, he sits down. He doesn't. Oh, wow. They came, they, they grew up in boxes. I mean, they didn't, they never went outside. And uh, 
Freddie didn't know what birds were. He thought cars, it's like when he saw cars go by, he didn't know what that was. That everything was new and almost everything was terrifying. He was terrified of dogs till the end of his life. He could never be around other dogs. He, they scared him. Uh, there was only one dog, and I acknowledge this in my um, in the book, uh, a very old, uh, also a rescue, Sheltie mix was a neighbor's dog. And Freddie, I think Freddie loved Holly. Um, in the short period he knew her, she died about a month after we brought Freddie home. But she was the only dog he ever tried to play with. And I think it's because she was slow and she was older that other dogs terrified him. We had to work really hard to keep him in a place where it was where he felt safe. So we avoided other dogs. We let people know well ahead of time they were coming down the street. You know, he's not, he's, he's afraid, or we would pick him up. But we also let him be who he was. We didn't ever put him through training. It was suggested a few times. But the only time we actually brought in an expert was when it appeared that, that Freddie was afraid of me. And that was curious because I was the one who chose him. I was the one who my partner at the time uh, tended to be more, I guess, rational about holding and touching uh, dogs. It was like, you know, let, just let, let him be. Don't, you don't have to hover over him all the time. But that's unfortunately the way I am. Freddie seemed to run away from me or he, was, he just wasn't sure of me. This was very upsetting, so I, I called an expert in Victoria, <clears throat> Janet Parker, and she came and she said, you know what you need to do? You need to sit down on the floor with him, feed him his dinner by hand, and this, however long this takes, do it. So we started doing that, and uh, there, was no, there was no change really, but it felt like it was, we were on our way to, you know, to improvements. And I also stopped wanting that from him. I just let him be who he was. It's like, you know what? I'm happy to look after you all of your days. Just, you know, if you need anything, let me know. But I'm not going to force myself on you. One evening when my partner was away, I was upstairs in a, sitting in the hall, uh, reshelving some books and sitting there reading a book in the dark. And I heard uh, Freddie's uh, clicking toenail. Uh, paw, paw nails uh, coming up the, the staircase. He came down the hall, stood there, and then put his uh, put his head on my knee and looked up at me. And I realized he had made the decision that I was okay. And after that, he, we were always close. He never shied away from me. He came to me when he was afraid. And we let him, I think it's important to let them decide when it's right there's mm -hmm. I, I'm not a proponent of I, I'm against training but i'm not a proponent of it in all cases i think um these dogs have been through so much the last thing they need is somebody saying no do this do that do this do that did with our nico he came to us completely on um he, he had no no house training uh he didn't know what toys were he didn't know he's he's he has many of the same fears that freddie had and uh Thanks to Freddie, we know what to do, and now he's he plays and he um, he's got actually becoming more a, a normal dog than, than Freddie was. So again, Freddie helped with that. That's amazing, and it's great that you give a different perspective um, out there. Of you have to train the dog, you have to train the dog. Your approach was just more 
passive and patient. So that's that's good to know that that approach also works. Yeah, being patient, be, be patient, let them develop. And if there's a if there's a reason why you need to interfere further, it'll come to you. But but mm-hmm. it's just these dogs that have been through this puppy mill hoarding situation, they need unique solutions. They can't just it's a cookie cutter training thing won't work. Um, at least at least as far as I can see. And Nico, Nico hasn't gone through. I'm assuming he hasn't gone through any training. No, no. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was suggested, but it's it's not. I mean, it wasn't necessary. He's he's a poodle. He's very very smart. Oh yeah, yeah. He picked up what to do. He wants to be. He wants to be the happy little dog. He is. But, but he, it was in there the whole time, even when it, it was so terrible when we first brought him home and. He just was terrified. He ran around. He didn't know where he was. He um, he uh, didn't know the difference between inside and outside. So we lived with uh, pee pads instead of carpeting <laughs> for like for like three months, three or four months. But um, <laughs> the, but he really did. Uh, he's he's come a long, long, long way, and it's not forcing. He's also from the same situation, like a. A puppy male hoarding. Yeah, he came out of the uh, he came out of the uh, puppy male hoarding situation. Just didn't you know? Uh, was just he never went out. Was never taken outside. They aren't. They're just kept in boxes. They're kept for breeding purposes. And uh, so he's younger than Freddie was when when he was sprung out of his situation. So um, I think that has helped as well. That's great that you got them. Both from the same situation, and they're also both from the BC SPCA. No, only Freddie, uh, and you can hear Nico in the background. <laughs> well, hello, Nico. <laughs> the, uh, no, Nico comes from a uh, came from a, uh, a rescue uh, on the uh, the BC mainland, um, and uh, uh, they they take in little dogs uh, that have been through you know hell and. Uh, we could we could only have a small dog in our in our living situation here, so he was perfect for that. We knew we were taking on a, a big a big job because of, of they have lived such a strange life of no stimuli, no uh, socialization, fear. It's hard to even imagine why anybody thinks that's okay. But luckily, there are wonderful people rescuing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shout out to all of those people that have done so. (laughs) Well, we are out of time. I really appreciate you, Grant, taking the time to talk to me today. And thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. The link to Grant's work will be on the show notes page. I'm not going to say it because it it gets a little confusing. But you can see um, all of his past writings on the webpage as well. So if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.